So we're stepping into a bit of orthopedic surgery we've never done before. We're going to bring on Jor Paley this week. And I got to tell you, he's a really fascinating man. He is one of the world's absolute foremost experts and authorities on limb lengthening. Uh, we have a history. I was actually at University of Maryland Medical School when he first started and came across from Canada uh, to uh, start the pediatric orthopedic program at University of Maryland and his limb lengthening program as well. Uh, it is just a fascinating story about how in the United States, this just didn't exist. And then went on a uh, fellowship, went to Italy, went to Russia, went to England, and felt that this was a, a, a process and a procedure that needed to be done for so many people around the world that had discrepancies in their in the lengths of their arms or their legs, whether it was fractures or congenital disorders, etc. And he learned and brought this technique to America within a year. He was booked out one year for surgery and he has never looked back. So just as a really fascinating episode on a concept of orthopedics that most people don't know about, I think you're going to love it just from the story about uh, what this procedure is, but also a very unique individual on the planet who decided to change the world one limb lengthening at a time. So I know you're going to love it. Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro. We want to thank our sponsor, Heron Therapeutics. Heron Therapeutics invites you to enter a new world of post-operative pain management with the first and only extended release dual-acting local anesthetic Zinrelief, Bupivacaine, and Meloxicam. Zinrelief has an important class-wide non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug box warning that includes a risk of serious cardiovascular and gastrointestinal events and is contraindicated in coronary artery bypass graft surgery. Avoid use in highly vascular surgery in patients with severe heart failure. See warnings about patient monitoring, risk of fetal toxicity, limits use after 20 weeks gestation, and avoiding use after 30. Please see show notes to access full prescribing information, including boxed warning. Visit www.zinrelief.com. That's www.zynrelef.com for more information. From Medical Media, this is The Author Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of The Ortho Show podcast, where everybody knows we bring the best of the best in the orthopedic world, and today is absolutely no exception we have one of the most unique orthopedic surgeons on the planet. His name is Dr. Dwar Paley. He's the medical director of the Paley Orthopedic and Spine Institute in West Palm Beach, Florida. Maybe a little wet. We'll have to talk about that with uh, Hurricane uh, uh, Ian there too. But he's the former director and international center for limb lengthening at Sinai Hospital, which is the, the hospital which I grew up next to. And the former chief of pediatric orthopedics at the University of Maryland in Baltimore for a long period of time where I went to medical school. And he is literally one of the world's foremost experts and limb lengthening. Dr. Paley, Jordan, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Uh, great to have you. So we usually like to start from the beginning. You know, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it looks like you're born and bred in Canada. Is that correct? I, uh, yeah, I grew up in Canada and I uh, moved to the U.S. in 87 to the University of Maryland, where you went to med school. Yeah, that's my, that's my understanding as well. So 
So let's talk about this because I think first and foremost, you know, the specialty that you've chosen is really incredibly unique. We've had, you know, I don't know, 150 orthopedic surgeons on the show and you're our first limb lengthening expert. And so tell us why orthopedics, when was it, when did it stimulate you that medicine was going to be your, your tract and then specifically orthopedic surgery? You know, my dad arranged for me to go into surgery when I was 14 with a family uh, friend who was a general surgeon. And I think it was an epiphany the moment uh, he opened the belly and I think he took out a gallbladder that first time. I thought, this is so cool. Uh, I think then I knew I was going to be a surgeon. I didn't know I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon, but um, I, I don't think I decided on orthopedic surgery until third year med school. And uh I was in probably the only day that we learned any pediatric orthopedics. And uh, um, I don't know, something clicked that day. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, orthopedics, right? Straightening of children. That's that's where it comes from. So that's the derivation of where it all started. And uh, so you were, so, so you go to University of Toronto undergrad and then also University of Toronto for medicine. Is that correct? Correct. And and were you were you destined to want to come across the border? I mean, you know, it seems like they, you sort of tinkered a little bit. You you did an internship at Hopkins, and then you went back across the border to your residency. So what was going on there? <laughs> I, I've gone across the border many times. I don't know if you know. I was actually born in Israel, and uh, my parents came to this country uh, on a scholarship. My father studied at MIT, uh, so I first came to this country in 1960. Um, you know, as a four-year-old child. And uh, we ended up going to Canada out of uh, necessity because, uh, you know, my, my parents got deemed socialists in, in the age of McCarthyism. And because of some background, you know, checks when they were applying for their green card. So we couldn't stay in this, in this country. And uh, so we went uh, to Canada. Best thing ever happened. You know, my, I went to ended up going to University of Toronto Med School, still considered in the top five med schools in North America, but my tuition was $1,076. So I am, I was completely debt-free, went to great schools, you know, had socialized healthcare and, you know, came to the United States without a, without a cent in debt and ready to conquer the world. So when I did come back eventually in 87, um, you know, I, I've stayed here ever since, but uh, I'm very grateful to my Canadian upbringing and background. And it's colored how I look at life to this day. No, I love it. That's a, that's a wonderful story. So, you know, my father's passed, but he was a chemical engineer uh, at MIT in the late 50s. And so uh, oh. that, that's an interesting story. And there may have been some common ground there uh, for sure. And I'll tell you a funny story about my dad and tuition. Uh, I think it cost $3,000 for his four-year MIT, you know, college education. And he took a loan out for it and he didn't pay, he paid it out over 25 years. And I'm like, dad, why, can we just pay off your MIT loan at this point? And he's like, no, I want to, I want to take advantage of the whole thing. I'm like, okay, dad, whatever works for you. But that's, that's an interesting story. That's great. So, so you're in Canada though, you know, it is a socialized medical system, right? We, you know, I take care of a lot of the Canadian athletes. I'm a team physician for uh, UMass Lowell. And whenever they need surgery, they stay here. You know, they don't want to head back over. But so you were ready to conquer the world and come back across the border one more time. But before you did that, you did a couple of fellowships. I think we need to talk about this, right? I mean, 
you're, you, you, you do your residency and then you do a hand fellowship, but then you did the traveling fellowship. When, when did limb lengthening, when did that, when did the bulb go off in your brain that this was something that, that should, that needed to be done? It actually happened during residency in 1983. Um, there was a traveling Italian surgeon, very famous guy named Renato Bombelli, uh, very famous for hip surgery. And uh, he was in Toronto in November, 1983. And, uh, you know, he was asked at conference in the morning, we showed him a bunch of cases and he was asked, you know, um, you know, how would you in Italy treat this patient who had a bone defect? In other words, a missing segment of bone in their lower leg. And, uh, you know, he starts describing what we now know as the Elizarov technique, which is the, the limb lengthening technique that kind of created the revolution. But none of us had ever heard of it at that time. And he, you know, he starts describing what was not just a Russian, but a Soviet technique. Yes, right. You know, that, 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 was, that was right. right. Iron curtains right. up and strong, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and it was like the moment he brought up that they're doing some Soviet technique, everybody shut down. And I went, I went to him, I, and, but there were no questions. So I, I assumed everybody knew about this. And I went up to him in the coffee break and asked him about this. And he drew, drew it out for me on a napkin. And when I saw what he was explaining, it was too unrealistic. It was too like science fiction. There's no way that you can grow bone back six inches of bone in a leg. And, you know, you put this device on and you adjust it every day and, and then the bone grows back. But I was probably too immature or naive or to, to know it's impossible. And so I was completely open-minded and I asked him to send me more literature, which he did. And then, you know, in 1985, I, I first of all did a literature search and all this and found all these articles written in Russian about this and I uh, couldn't read them. And, you know, so then I read the English abstracts. And then in 1985, I went over to Italy where they had started to do this and I was blown away. I, I just finished my residency, so okay. I took a week off to go over there when I had a little break, and I learned, to, and I said, wow, this is what I want to do, and I said, told the Italians, I'm coming back next year, I got to finish what I'm doing, I was in a hand fellowship at the time, coming back, and I'm going to spend six months over here, and I want to also go to the Soviet Union, which is a Canadian I could do, that was mm. another advantage of sure. being Canadian sure. during the height of the Cold War, and, um, and that's what I did. So in, in 1986, packed my bags, took my two and a half year old infant son, my pregnant wife, and headed to Italy. And we spent about four months in Italy, spent about uh, five, six weeks in the Soviet Union, uh, traveled other parts of Europe as well to see a few other things. Six months there, sent my wife back a month before her due date. And I arrived the day before she gave birth. Uh, thank God saved my life. But anyway, <laughs> a, good, a good Jewish boy, you had to get you had to make sure you got home in time for the delivery of your baby. It's awesome. I, 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 what a great so this is like a, I mean, it's a really fascinating story. Because let's be clear, I mean, to our listeners, I mean, this technology, you know, it, it just didn't exist in the United States of America. I mean, it's almost sounds like medieval torture, right? You're going to 
take this bone, you're going to cut it, and then you're going to twist this thing, and you're going to elongate the bone over time. And it just wasn't part of our medical school curriculum or anything that was being taught. So to take a year of your life with your young you know, son and your wife and your newborn and travel to learn this crazy new technique it really sounds mishugana. I mean, it's like, you know, what are you going to do with this when you get back? What, I mean, how are you going to teach this? Where are you going to do it? Like, who's going to believe you? Right. So I, I didn't fully think out all those questions. Um, I just thought this was the most interesting thing. And, you know, in retrospect, I was in the right place at the right time. And I was the right person for it. I learned Italian and Russian fluently. I still speak them to this day and use them in my practice because I get patients from over a hundred countries and many of them, by the way, till this war from Russia and uh, many of them from Italy. So I still use both those languages all the time. And it just, it opened my door to a cosmopolitan orthopedic world. And, you know, if you told me back then, I was going to become probably one of the most well-known, um, maybe controversial, but well-known orthopedic surgeons in the world, one of the best published, and, you know, who was going to introduce a brand new field to orthopedics, I would have said, you're nuts. But that's what happened. You know, long and short of it over the next 30 years, that's what happened. So we're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsor, Trackable Med. This episode of the Ortho Show podcast is brought to you by Trackable Med. You work like crazy, but you make less every year. You feel busy, but it's not with the procedures you want. The problem is you rely on referrals, which are out of your control. Maybe you've tried advertising, maybe a new website, but there are always questions. Is it working? Am I wasting money? How can you get more of the patients you want on purpose? Trackable Med. Trackable Med was born out of a frustration with an advertising industry riddled with a lack of accountability to actual outcomes. With Trackable Med, it's all about the results defined as something you can deposit into a bank account. Results are achieved through an approach rooted in neuroscience, advertising, web design, and even appointment setting patient engagement solutions. Everything is designed with purpose towards your goal and all with no contracts. Find out if accelerating patient demand for your practice with Trackable Med is a good fit for you. Visit trackablemed.com and click on free consultation. Yeah, so, so we still have this common ground, which I want to stay with. I mean, how did you get to University of Maryland? I mean, you then you did a fellowship for sick children. So you did, you know, a fellowship at one of the greatest pediatric orthopedic hospitals in the world. So, you know, you've got your qualifications there. So, uh, you know, University of Maryland wants to expand their department. They need a chief of pediatric orthopedics. But yet, you know, you're coming with this baggage of this limb lengthening procedure. Someone had to have, you know, really drink the Kool-Aid to be able to say, all right, we're going to trust you on this and we're going to allow you to do it. And I was there at the moment. I'm like, I'm there from 86 to 90. So I'm like literally trying to get an orthopedics as you're starting this 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 cultural orthopedic revolution in limb lengthening. I think I find it fascinating. I'm looking back at it. Really pretty cool. But, you know, so um, I really didn't want to leave Canada. My wife had a fantastic job. Uh, her entire family is there. My parents uh, lived in Ottawa. Um, you know, so it, it all our roots were there. We had very little in the U.S. I got a few cousins. Um and my only connection is I'd spent a year in Baltimore uh, as, as an intern. Um, 
And, um, you know, but then still went back and did my residency in, in Canada. And the reason was that the residency in Toronto was way better than the residency at Johns Hopkins, believe it or not. Um, but I wanted to stay at SickKids, but there were no jobs. In Canada, it's not like here that they create another job. Someone has to literally die or retire before there's a job. And, and the irony is, had I stayed one more year, there was this huge brain drain that started the, that year in, in 1987. And we had a mass exodus. So five of the people at SickKids left. And in fact, the, the day I got my green card in August 1987, I was waiting for my work certificate, labor certification and green card. They came to me and said, hey, we have a job for you. Would you stay? And I said, hey, I, I, I've, these guys in Maryland have sponsored my green card. It's, it's been over a year we've been working on this. And my word is my bond. If I promise someone I'm coming, I'm not turning around. And it, it, let me tell you, it was very tempting. And to this day, I don't break my word on anything. If I promise something, it's as good as a written contract. So I, I moved to Maryland and it was the right thing to do. Um, and, you know, the University of Maryland did not hire me to do limb lengthening. They thought this was interesting. I think they mostly gave me lip service at the time. Well, there was no they record, wanted, there was no track record for it at the moment, right? I mean, no, no, no. And I was telling them what I was going to do. And yeah, I think they nodded their head and, yeah. you know, you know, whatever. But can you do pediatric orthopedics? Yes. Okay. Because we need a chief of pediatric orthopedics. So I thought, well, it's, you know, coming out, I was a chief with no Indians, by the way. So it's not right. so impressive. But that's okay. You know, that, that happens a lot. It's, it's not uncommon. But, but, I, but I built that department. So I came in and I did say to them, I said, so if I get so busy with, um, with the limb lengthening stuff, and, you know, don't have time to do some of the other stuff. Is it okay if I focus and concentrate on it? And they said, yeah, 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 but it's not going to happen. Yeah. Within, so just so you know, I moved there, started November 15th, 1987. Okay. By January, 1987. So that's two months later. By January, I had a one-year waiting list for surgery. Oh, my God. By by the end of the calendar of the of the academic year by june 30th i had a one and a half year waiting list so let me make that clear if you came to see me you could get into my office to see me but you would wait a year and a half to get your surgery <laughs> and so so let's let's talk about this and for the listeners and, and people waited by the way they well, had no other choice where, where were they going to go right where there wasn't no anybody one. else in the Not states that. that was doing it at that time you were the only one and, Not and, just in the state. They were coming. They were coming from all over the world. So when I moved there, okay, I when I arrived there, by the way, I, I ran a course on this. We brought a Lazarov over from the Soviet Union, okay, November first, second, third of nineteen eighty-seven. Before I even started my job, I was actually en route to Baltimore. Stopped in New York, did this conference that I organized with with the Hospital for Joint Diseases, Victor Frankel, famous guy who told me very clearly, Drawer, it takes two people to run a course, an old fart and a young guy, the young guy to do all the work and the old fart to take all the credit. And I got it and we ran that course. And 
when I arrived at the University of Maryland, November 15th, the ward, the, the unit secretary said, Dr. Paley, can you explain to me why on a daily basis we're getting 20 to 30 x-ray packages with your name on it for your opinion? <laughs> All right. So, so listen, I want to go back here a little bit because we have to educate our listeners because not everybody understands what a limb lengthening procedure is. And, and I want you to keep it so, again, my mother, Judy, can understand this. But give us the classic patient, okay? We don't have to get, there's always nuance, there's always complexity, but who's the classic patient that that needs a, a, a Lizaroth limb lengthening procedure? And, and just just let's walk it through real slow. What do you got? So the, the main indication uh, were patients who had one limb shorter than the other. I say limb because it could be the upper limb or the lower limb. Okay. So let's say, a le- so we say leg lengthening, but it's also arm lengthening. And so you have, if you have, imagine you have a, a six inch leg length discrepancy. So one leg is shorter by six inches. What, why would you ever get that? Uh, people are born that way. They get a, they're born for, with uh, one leg growing slower than the other. Sure. Okay. Sure. These are called birth defects. Um, or they can have an accident and sure. it damages the growth plate and that slows the growth of one side, or they could have trauma like, you know, where the bone breaks and over, you know, heels short. So there are many causes of leg length difference, way more common than most people realize. And leg length differences of, you know, an inch or more are enough to bother people and, or at least need to wear a shoe lift or something. So now how do we fix that? So the way we fix that is we put on a device, an external device. It's like a brace that's literally bolted to the bone. Okay. And there are many shapes to them. Some of them are rings around the bone. Some of them are bars on the side of the bone. And imagine you have these steel connections to the bone pins that are going into the bone. Some of them are like screws that screw into the bone, bone being a pretty, you know, as hard as wood, right? And uh, some of them are wires that are drilled through the bone and then tensioned on both sides and connected to a outrigger. So you have this scaffold on the outside, which call, we call an external fixator, and it has screws. And you mount the scaffold onto the bone. In surgery, you break the bone, okay? Or in the lower leg, you have two bones, you break both bones. And the break is done, by the way, through tiny incisions, like a quarter inch incision. And then after surgery, you start turning these screws a tiny amount, millimeter a day. That's a 25th of an inch a day. And every day you adjust this thing and pull the, pull the bones apart. As you do that, bone is a living substance and it heals itself by making new bone to bridge itself. So if you just have a fracture, it makes new bone to glue the ends together. If you are lengthening the leg, that means pulling it apart. It's kind of like we're fooling the bone. It's it, it basically telling it you're broken, but we keep pulling the broken ends apart and we keep separating them farther and farther and it grows new bone in the gap. And that was Ilizarov's genius is to figure out how to lengthen a leg because people had been lengthening legs for about 50 years before Lazarov. Okay. But what he perfected is the science of growing the new tissue, the bone, the muscle, the nerves, all the elements that go into regenerating a new leg. So what you're actually doing 
when you lengthen a leg is regenerating a segment of limb. So imagine if you lengthen someone six inches, you've got a, think of your thigh, how big your thigh is, and take a cross section of your thigh and another cross section, six inches apart. Everything, the skin, the nerves, the muscles, the veins, the arteries, you know, the bone. It's all got to grow with it. All of it regenerates. So it is the closest thing we have to what the salamander can do by growing a new limb. You know, Heather, we're going to, Heather, we got to make sure that Dr. Paley gets an award. That was the best layperson description of probably one of the most complex operations you could do in orthopedics. (laughs) So that was wonderful. My mother's going to understand it. I love it. That was great. Um, But thank you very much for going through that because I really think that matters, you know, to our listeners. So, so all of a sudden you're at University of Maryland and like you're just starting your, your job and you're booked out a year and a half and obviously things take off. And then you decide to move over to Sinai. I'm assuming you went to Sinai because you just, you needed more space. You needed a, a center no, for, for this. No, you know, I, I was there 14 years. I was really happy. We had an amazing setup. I had recruited uh, two additional people, Dr. John Hertzenberg and Dr. Kevin Tetsworth, and they were working with me. We had a fellowship. We had a residency program. I was the associate uh, director of the residency. And honestly, where I saw myself going is going to be a chairman of a, you know, of a orthopedic department. And I'd already been offered that job three times. And I turned it down. I felt I was, I was offered it at 36. Okay. And I turned it down because I felt it would sideline what I really wanted to do, which is the limb lengthening. Um, but then, you know, Sinai Hospital came and made us an offer we couldn't refuse. And I, you know, for me, I didn't want to move my kids who were in Baltimore. I'd, I'd been moved around f- into f- four cities, three countries in 10 years. And I felt I want my kids to stay in one place and have childhood friends their entire life. So my wife and I stayed there and um, raised our kids there till we were empty nesters. And, um, but you know, um, Sinai came when, after I'd been 14 years at University of Maryland, I was their youngest full professor at age 38. And um, they basically offered to build us a hospital so now, was, us, was, was Spike Foreman there? Was this Spike's uh, deal, Spencer Foreman? Spencer Foreman. He was the uh, president CEO of Sinai at the time. He may have already moved on. I'm not sure. No, no, no. It was Warren. Um, what's Warren's last name? Uh, it wasn't him. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Um, he was a friend uh, of the family. Um, anyway, the in, in the end, they built us this um, freestanding structure connected to the hospital with our own operating rooms, our own uh, patient floor, our own rehab unit, you know, uh, you know, even had a swimming pool for the patients, um, everything, gate lab. So it was a $24 million they invested to move us over. And um you know, and so we moved and it was it was an incredible eight years there. Uh, unfortunately, in my, they lost their vision, they lost their direction. And where I was going and where the administration were going, very different, which surprised me with the amount of investment they did. And, uh, but, you know, that's okay. It was the best thing ever happened to me. And I, um, I moved on and I, 
I've always wanted to go to Florida. So I, um, you know, it, it, it worked out that in 2009, I opened what now is called the Paley Orthopedic and Spine Institute, a uh, little more than 13 years here. Now uh, have 20 surgeons here. I came here as a single surgeon. I've grown it to 20 surgeons. Uh, the largest limb length center in the world, but we do everything here, not just limb lengthening. And um, patients come, you know, it's in West Palm Beach, which is like a little piece of heaven. All the hurricanes avoid us. Um, and ever since I came here, they call me the patron saint of, of West Palm Beach because we've never been hit by a hurricane, including this one, since <laughs> I moved here. And, you know, we've got, we've changed the landscape here. We have patients from over 100 countries, all 50 states. And we do some of the most complex surgeries and orthopedics in the world. So, you know, one of my passions is opioid sparing. And I know that, you know, back in the in the 80s, when we first started this whole thing, you know, we weren't really worried about sparing opioids. We just knew that we were we were told we had to get our patients out of pain. And this is obviously, you know, a painful procedure. But there must be some things that you've done at this point in the process of being able to make this more comfortable for the patients in the process. What can you speak to about that? Sure. So, you know, there are two different devices used for limb lengthening. Um, these external fixators that I mentioned, these external scaffolds, or patients sometimes refer to them as cages. And, um, and they're definitely less comfortable, but people accommodate and adapt to them. And if you place the pins incorrectly relative to the soft tissues, if you prevent infections and, and many things like that, you reduce the pain. If you have a good rehabilitation physical therapy program, you reduce the pain. Um, and by the way, we have been opiate sparing for long before the this became the national movement. And we we use very little um, narcotic. Um, you know, we mostly use uh, anti-inflammatories and Tylenol. Um, but we do things to prevent pain on the surgical side so that the actual procedure and process less painful. Now, the other big thing is that limb lengthening, the biggest advance over the last 30 years has been we've moved to implantable devices. So these are instead of the external fixator being on the outside or the limb lengthening device, the thing that pulls the bone apart, being on the outside of the bone, it's now on the inside. So, you know, bone being a hollow structure, you know, the marrow cavity, we're able to put uh, telescopic rods on the inside of the bone, and these pull the bone apart. And so, and we operate them remotely with an external remote control. I was just going to so, say, it's probably a smartphone application these days are uh, almost and, amazing. Uh, no, it is. It, it is. So, you know, the current device is the magnetic one. We also have plates so that sit on the side of the bone that also remotely controlled. And, and there's a new device coming out that I helped develop, which literally is operated by an iPhone. So I could have a patient in Los Angeles or one in Paris, and I can look at what's happening with their lengthening. I can slow it down. I can speed it up. I can stop it if they're like one of these patients who doesn't listen. Uh, I can also monitor how much force is being exerted and how much, how tight the soft tissues are getting relative to that force. So yeah, we've come a huge way from 33 years ago, you know, 35 years ago when I started this. And it's really an exciting field. And by the way, it's not just limb lengthening, it's also 
the field of deformity correction. Deformities are, you know, angled, crooked, twisted bones. And um, so this field encompasses the two of them. And if, you know, there's even more crooked bones than there are short bones. Mm, for sure, for sure. Now, listen, uh, Dwarit, look, I mean, we're, we're coming to a close. I really love this conversation. I wasn't sure where we were going to go, but, um, you know, we, we have some very common overlap. But your history, your your ability to innovate and think, you know, and identify a need that no one else saw here, obviously, in North America, is just kudos to you and remarkable. And I just find it so fascinating that that even now, you know, towards the latter end of your career, you're still innovating in the process and really trying to make this even better for our patients, taking the technology that's available. So really want to thank you for all of your, your time and energy and, and your ability to change the way in which we think about orthopedics. You, you truly are a living legend, and it was a pleasure having you on today. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of The Ortho Show. Till next time.